Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. Today, we are going to do something a little different, which uh, is kind of one of those, where do cognitive biases hit us in our daily lives. There's an interesting Netflix special on Bill Gates now that we've both watched. It's interesting. In the course of watching this episode, I actually watched it last night. I noticed a few things that were peculiar about Bill Gates that are highlighted in a lot of the behavioral uh, study that Dan and I have done. And when you think about Bill Gates, someone who is recognized historically, was not very well liked in the 90s, generally, except for a few aficionados of what he was able to do with Microsoft. But he was generally seen as being uh, fanatical and very winner-take-all in terms of how he conducted business. A lot of discussions of monopolies and his congressional testimony and things of that nature. Yes. And then now, when uh, he's stepped away from Microsoft and has focused on his charitable endeavors, arguably he's doing more for humanity uh, in terms of doing things that could benefit as many lives as possible uh, than anyone that I can think of really in history. Maybe some of the great uh, industrialists who gave back their money, like uh, Carnegie uh, or Rockefeller, you know, they've done similar things in the past. And Maybe it's just not as salient for me because it's not as current. It's a total turnaround of public perception because you're right. He, he was seen as pretty ruthless in terms of getting to the top in the tech business. And then uh, now is, is seen as almost one of the icons of philanthropy. We will put this in the show notes. The series is Inside Bill's Brain, Decoding Bill Gates. And I always think of Bill Gates kind of as a very deliberative, sort of focused person. When we think about cognitive bias is coming about frequently from intuition or sort of careless application of thought to the problems of the world, where we kind of default to doing the common, well-walked path. Bill Gates, you get this feeling that he's a compulsive reader. He's an infovore. In that series, I was struck by the fact that he was reading a Robert Sapolsky book, and Sapolsky we've talked about before as a stress researcher who studied primates um, in Africa and talked all about the cortisol system and mapped that out neuroscientifically. So that's pretty far apart from software. You get the feeling like Gates engages on a lot of different topics uh, in a very deep way and is likely to maybe overcome some of those biases because of that sort of trait. Now, one of the things that uh, really characterizes his philanthropy is this notion that all lives are equal in value, regardless of nationality or origin. Starting with that premise, he has taken a very uh, statistical approach to big problems that will affect the largest number of people, uh, which is a huge departure from typical philanthropy that you see uh, among a lot of people where there's something that's very salient that really strikes a chord with them, where they want to go and provide uh, assistance for that one issue. 
That's right. Yeah, people focus kind of on the the very uh, tangible, right? They have to know the person or know the story. We've talked a lot about our brains are attuned to narratives. And so a good philanthropic goal, if you want to raise money, is to try to get into someone's narrative, like provide them with the backstory and the emotions. Bill doesn't seem to be um, thinking that way. No, he's thinking about doing literally the utilitarian notion of the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And that is a refreshing view, at least from my perspective, because it tends to be that we're always focused on that thing, that anecdotal piece of evidence that captures our attention and uh, gets a disproportionate uh, response in terms of policy decisions that are made. I guess you can't ignore the influence of Melinda Gates here as well. So one of the things I took away from that series is that Melinda Gates is a huge driving force in that foundation and probably helps to provide another perspective, another key perspective. If it was only Bill doing this, it would, might look a little different. She might have kind of uh, a way of, of kind of adding to the human side of the problem in a way that helps him. Yeah, I think that's important because Gates doesn't seem to be as sensitive to the human element uh, associated with a lot of the problems that he's looking to address. He wasn't famous for that earlier in his life with Microsoft. One of the examples given was basically he's trying to address rotavirus and a lot of the issues associated with sanitation in the developing world. And so he's trying to design a toilet that uh, doesn't require all of the extensive uh, plumbing that would be very expensive to try to put in some of these slums uh, where they have these issues associated with sanitation. And uh, there was a portion where Melinda was chiming in. One of the inputs that she had is that a lot of the women that would be using these toilets, they need to have a wall that's high enough around the toilet that men couldn't see over because then they wouldn't use it. They need to have enough room so that they could have a child in with them, in there so with them. So she's like the user interface uh, or UI <laughs> component of the, uh, <laughs> the equation, in this case, philanthropy. Right, right. And we know that Windows always struggled with that early on, uh, <laughs> they the did user seem to. interface. The interesting thing is that it highlighted a couple of very important psychological biases that both Gates seemed to have or suffer from. Because of the studious nature that he has, this deliberative decision-making, he's been able to overcome a lot of the issues associated with base rate neglect, right? Where basically you take a look at what happens with uh, the, the big numbers, the large number of people relative to, you know, one distinct anecdotal piece of information. This has to be one of the most commonly cited instances of base rate neglect. Anything about saving lives or you know, preventing tragedies or, or philanthropy, it's always uh, a challenge. It's a trade-off between going with the sort of uh, human interest problem that's really rich in people's minds or going with the one that has, as you put it, the most utilitarian value. Gates is somewhat unique in terms of really being weighted toward the calculation, you know, just the, the live-save calculation is what maybe is going to be the driver of the huge influence of the Gates Foundation. Yeah, this was really illustrated in the series at one point in time gates is watching a video about a girl in africa who suffers from polio and uh, all of the challenges that she has as it debilitates her 
being paralyzed anywhere is horrible, but being paralyzed in a third world country uh, is unimaginable. But anyway, he was watching this video with his daughter to teach her about the problem. And at the end of the video, his daughter said, well, what are we going to do about this? And he started to explain his program as to what he planned to do about polio uh, within Africa. And his daughter said, no, no, what are we going to do about that girl? And it just illustrated that she was affected emotionally by this one anecdotal incident, whereas Gates saw the problem from the much broader perspective of the large number of people that were being affected by this disease that had largely been eradicated here in the United States. Yeah, that's a great case of mental models, isn't it? You've got one person who's thinking um, more narrowly and richly and, and deeply about an individual, and then another person in the form of Bill Gates who's thinking much more broadly and has uh, much more of a numerical calculation. I think it relates back to why he was really successful with Microsoft. Um, there's another great documentary I highly recommend called Triumph of the Nerds, and it was a multi-part series from the late 90s, just as uh, the internet was um, taking off and the dot-com boom was about to take shape. This was a retrospective on the Silicon Valley development, and, and what was really clear was Bill Gates uh, was one of many kind of coders and, uh, you know, basically computer science-oriented people that could have come to dominate the industry. It's just that his focus seemed to be on the business side of things, right? He wasn't purely a coder. He sort of was always looking for the applications and how could you move it forward and turn it into a company. And that's undoubtedly why Microsoft uh, came to dominate based on the way he saw the opportunity. So again, this very different mental model what was clear in that series is many other talented individuals could have done something similar and, and been dominant, but they were maybe overly focused on the, the problem at hand. It didn't quite see the bigger picture and how you would turn something into profitability. And th that's probably true across all manner of industries, you know, those people that can kind of see the bigger picture versus the micro. Well, another big piece of it as well was his fanaticism. There was talk in the series on Netflix about how he would forego food and sleep in order to complete whatever task he had before him. He'd literally carry around a, a little packet of tang and uh, eat tang instead of food while he was coding. And he'd get orange tang all over his face. <laughs> One of the commentators asked, well, did you end up with tang all over your, your keyboard? And he said, well, yes, that was a problem. But <laughs> right. it's interesting because Bill Gates is one of those characters where his fanaticism allowed him to have the focus to be able to drive Microsoft to have a great deal of success. There are definitely instances in history, throughout history, where you have people that have a fanatical approach where it's necessary for the outcome, but it's not sufficient. And, and because there's a survivorship bias here, because Bill Gates was successful in his endeavor, and a lot of his answers are always like, if it doesn't work, we just work harder. We've talked about the illusion of control, uh, which occurs, and you can see that in some of these projects, which are very difficult. The last piece of the series is where Gates is trying to confront the problem of energy, and he's focused on a nuclear solution 
which became a lot less popular after Fukushima and that accident. So faced with that issue, he still has this dogged approach to drive forward to try to address these problems and feels like, it seems like he feels like he can exert enough of his will to actually make it come to fruition. And that will be necessary for him to be successful. Right. It's all tied into confidence and control, isn't it? Um, We've often talked about the illusion of control or overconfidence biases being a problem, and they certainly can be. But the, I guess the upside of, of those kind of thoughts, like fanatically believing you can make a difference, and when applied to these kind of cases, it actually really sustains the workflow, which is another problem that many of us suffer from, is we've talked about it before with news coverage, that uh, the news cycle is very rapid and dramatic, and we tend to focus on it too much initially, and then it wanes pretty fast. It, it's almost like Bill Gates's approach has this he can sort of stick with an idea and is in some sense immune to some of that, the Fukushima, like the negative sides of the nuclear possibilities. I was going to say nuclear option. That's <laughs> not the right term. Those possibilities uh, you know, that might deter other people, he'll sort of maybe see, again, he just has that sort of calculating ability to see the goal and stick to it. And that's fairly rare. There's no doubt. But it's also interesting because There's a point in time sometimes when you've got to walk away from a problem, right? Because you're not being successful. And I wonder in the case of Gates if that is an issue that he suffers from, if he may have difficulty walking away from something uh, that's a a loser's game. One would imagine that might be the case. I guess you could sort of see that in Microsoft to a degree. Now, his influence at Microsoft was kind of declining toward the end of his career there, but it did feel like Apple had kind of found a way to capture the next wave of momentum and it really changed products with that user interface component. And that was never really the strength of Microsoft. Again, it's a little bit like Melinda Gates is the usability a part of that equation for the foundation. I have an iPhone, but I don't have a Zoom. Well, you know, (laughs) you wonder if they're related in some way that uh, we all have our biases and our strengths, but they always have this sort of trade-off component. I think you're right. That would be the worry with with someone like Gates. You can get so far in life by sustaining effort on something, and a lot of times the world will come around to your beliefs if you just persist long enough. But of course, in things like investing, you're going to have to be able to know when to fold them, as they say. Yeah, it's just a question of optimism and associating work with success. In the case of investing, we have a lot less control than Gates does, right? So Gates can throw more money at the problem. He can, uh, you know, deploy more resources. Much like Warren Buffett. And more effort. So Gates and Warren Buffett are, are kind of kindred spirits in that regard. Well, I think Warren Buffett is more like an investor than a operator. So Gates is an operator. Gates had he actually did coding himself when he was at Microsoft, and he was really quite good at it. And then he ran Microsoft on his own, whereas Buffett will acquire businesses, but keep management within a business that he actually acquires and takes within the Berkshire Hathaway umbrella. And then he'll allocate capital to various businesses based off of his assessment of how well they can deploy that capital. Similar calculating deliberative approach, though. Similar, but he's not actually 
putting the effort into managing the businesses himself. He, he'll delegate that to the managers. Whereas Gates, he's managing the entire process. Differences in style. It's a difference in style, but it's also, I think, a difference in the effect that you can have by having that fanatical approach. I've seen often investors go and spend a tremendous amount of time learning absolutely everything about a particular business and being so biased and jaded in their view that every single narrative that they see that counters, it's basically confirmation bias dominates them. They're suffering from overconfidence because they say, I have done all of this work, therefore I must be successful. And the reality is, is the market just does not care. And you have no effect. You can't go pull the levers yourself within the business. You can't go and change the fortunes of the industry that that business is operating in. You may have a feeling that you understand it and you're familiar with all of the various factors, but that won't change your rate of success. The cards will come out off the top of the deck the way they will come out. You may be able to better assess the probabilities, but the reality is, is that the more work we do, we tend to distort our ability to assess those probabilities. They may seem more favorable to us because we have this notion that we understand. Yeah, and when you do so much work on something, your mental model becomes so enriched, you almost become out of touch to where reading sentiment about something becomes very hard because you overinterpret that others are going to see patterns that you know are there. In reality, very few people probably have put in as much uh, detail work as you have. So. Um, classic case of we often advocate for more work and more deliberative action to avoid biases, but it, of course, brings about its own challenges. That's right. So uh, there's a happy medium. And something that's really important here is to try to come back to the base rate, try to come back and think about, as opposed to the anecdotal information that you've acquired about this one business, think about it in terms of businesses within the industry, businesses generally don't think about it in terms of the one girl that has polio. Think about polio, right? That's what Gates is able to do from a statistical ability to step back from the problem and think about the bigger picture. A lot of times that's very necessary when you get down into the weeds and the details of analyzing an individual issue, because otherwise you can just get caught up in such an elaborate narrative that detail entraps you and you can't escape. Yeah, don't miss the forest for the trees, and likewise, don't miss the trees for the forest. Good advice. So uh, we highly recommend this Netflix documentary, Inside Bill's Brain. Uh, It's good food for thought, um, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.